Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. Welcome to Rockstar Today. Today, we have Dio Gibson. Man, Dio, it's so nice to have you on the show. I'm going to read you the bio and I'm going to little, improvise a little bit. Not the way that you improvise because you're a master at improvisation. But Dio is a Canadian rapper with over 2,500 shows. He's a motivational speaker and an author. He's known for setting the Guinness World Record for the longest freestyle rap in 2003, eight hours and 45 minutes. In fact, I've always wondered, when did he have time to go to the bathroom? Maybe he'll answer that. And recently, another world record for rapping while running. What is not on Wikipedia is that he is a master of business, which includes the grant process. And he's one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet in the business. His latest book is On This Grind, and it's a fantastic book on mindset and on Dio's extensive experience in the music industry. It's all bite-sized chapters, two pages on average. That makes it fun to read, and I could not put it down. In fact, I just finished reading it 10 minutes before this interview. Dio, welcome. Great to be here. Great to see you, man. I know. We, uh, we go, uh, I wouldn't say way, way back. We haven't seen each other for a little while, and of course, there's a lot of situations that explain the reason why, including a global pandemic, but it's nice to have you on the show. I always like to start off with speaking about the origin story of a guest. Sure. I want to know when music took on a deeper meaning for you? Because a lot of times we grow up surrounded by music, normally the music that our parents listen to. Sometimes it's an older sibling or somebody in our family or a group of friends that exposes this music that all of a sudden speaks to us in a different way. Music goes from Mm -hmm. something that we hear to something that we feel. Was there a band Mm -hmm. or a song that really did that for you where it just woke you up and said, this is it, this is different? I think there's two times. I'd have to say, first of all, music was always a big part of my childhood. My dad had a record collection. And I remember when I used to have a babysitter, babysitters would love babysitting me because of my dad's record collection. And they would love to come and play records at my house. And I'm talking Stevie Winwood. I'm talking Phil Collins. I'm talking Tracy Chapman. (laughs) And that was a big one. And so just growing up and, and having that music played was a big influence on me. And then I got to be about 11 years old and I was watching much music and I saw DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Parents just don't understand. (laughs) And when I heard that record, it just clicked with me. It was like, okay, now I like music. And so I started watching Rap City every day and getting into LL Cool J and, and Run DMC as well. And that's when it took on a meaning to me. But I think it's really when I was in grade 11. I started getting into like Wu-Tang Clan and Ice-T and Ice Cube that just music hit me. And I think that's the thing is when you're a teenager, music connects with you in a way that you'll never kind of have again. That's why I think uh, we're always nostalgic to the bands that, and groups that we listened to when we were teenagers. For sure. And of course, it kind of got you into the career of music. I mean, you started writing uh, rhymes and all these notebooks that you still have to this day. Uh, <laughs> You took on at one point the name Dio or Defy the Odds. So tell us about the yeah. date connected with that name. Well, my first rap name was D.O.G. And I got that name from one of my best friends, Diz. And uh, 
we were walking around downtown Toronto and he was just like, you know, I know your middle name's Michael, but it would be cool if, since your initials are DG, if we call you D-O-G. <laughs> From D-O-G, then people just started calling me D-O. They, they just shortened it up. And when I gave that story, especially to kids, it's not a cool story to say, like, oh, my friend gave me the name because D-O-G, you know, Snoop Dogg. So I said to myself, I got to make my name mean something because when anybody says, like, what do you stand for? What does your name stand for? I also took it in a way that I have to have my name stand for something. So I just came up with Defy the Odds. And it was just kind of a random thing that I thought. And when I told that same guy, Diz, he's like, yo, that's kind of dope. And that's how I start all of my shows now, man, by talking about what it means to defy the odds. And I think it really resonates with kids and adults as well, because I think in life, we all have to defy the odds. You have a dream, but you have to overcome things. To me, it just stuck with that. And of course, when you're talking about speaking to kids, you speak at uh, schools all across the country. I don't even know how many countries you speak at, but you uh, are very, very active in that part and you're able to not only inspire them. And what I thought was really interesting is that you speak to kids in a different way, depending on their age. If they're young, you kind of pump it up a bit. And if they're older, you kind of like calm down a bit just to make sure that you're not overdoing it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, it it really struck me by surprise. When I started speaking, I thought I was just going to do it for high schools. Then I started getting requests for elementary schools. And then they'd say, can we bring the junior kindergartens down? (laughs) And honestly, Randall, I was a little bit nervous when I had the junior kindergarten because you know where they're going to sit, right at the front. I have to do a presentation for an hour and I can't have them moving around. I, I can't have people getting up, going to the washroom, stuff like that. So what it really taught me was what an MC is, the master ceremony. And so what I realized when I did performances for them is I had to make sure that they were engaged. Because if a kid gets up and has to go to the washroom, (laughs) you know, all the time, you're going to lose them or if they get antsy. So I patterned my show in a specific way so that I would get kids to do call and response raps. Uh, I'd play music videos. I'd freestyle. But I'd also give them a message. So I want to set the scene for you. It's October 2003, South Beach, Florida. What happens? Um, What I loved about it was it was the Source Awards. So the Source Awards were the biggest hip-hop event in the world, really. And I went down there with a few of my best friends. I brought a couple boxes of CDs. We went and sold CDs on the beach. And I'd walk down the street, and one time I'd see DMC from the legendary group Run DMC. I was just in XXL magazine. I just set the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's longest freestyle a couple months before. And because I was in XXL magazine, a lot of people kind of knew who I was in a way like, oh, I heard about something like that. And so talking to DMC and, and talking to Wyclef just solidified, like, maybe I can do this. We went to the Source Awards and I, I managed to get backstage and talk to RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. At that moment, I was like, this, this is incredible. Um, I'm meeting my heroes and my heroes are treating me with respect. But earlier that day, I called my boss. I was working as a teacher tutor. And I said, um, I just said, um, and he said, is this the call? <laughs> he knew it was coming at some point. And uh, that's when I quit my job. He said, best of luck. And, you know, I always believe in you. And it was nice to have that support as well. But quitting my job 
and saying, I'm going to be a full-time rapper. I'm going to go for my dream. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go for my dream. And I believe that sometimes, Randall, you got to take that leap. Yeah, burn the boats. Burn the boats. I heard that from Scooter Braun. You know who Scooter is, man? Yeah. So I was in South of France at Medem when Scooter Braun was doing his speech. I, I was saying things because uh, he was telling a story about Usher and how he was at the label and he, he was with a kid. And, and so I say, tell us about the kid. And he's like, what? Who's that? Who's that? And I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, I like that. You know, keep going. <laughs> so I realized that I could, you know, talk from the crowd. But I said, tell us about the kid because I grew up in Stratford, Ontario. Justin Bieber is the kid and he's from Stratford, Ontario. And what an amazing story he's had to get there. And Scooter also just said right after he mentioned that story, he said, you got to burn the boats. That's what I've learned in business. And if you guys take anything from here, burn the boats. And he told that short story of, uh, of how sometimes you have to burn the boats to get ahead. I do think that artists that really make this a full-time career that devote their time, their energy, even their own investments are the ones that make it go farther. And those that do it as a side gig or a side hustle, it, it just doesn't work as well. The, they won't get that critical mass needed or that tipping point to go to the next level. I want to talk a little bit about investment because you brought up uh, Medem, uh, which is in Cannes. You had to spend quite a lot to go to that first event. Yeah. More, more than you thought. Where should an artist invest in now? The number one thing you have to invest in and Randall, you're a very good person at this. You invest in relationships. The first time I met you, like we, we talked a little bit, maybe on Facebook, but you invited me out to a dinner. Cassandra was there as well. And you didn't expect anything out of it. You, you weren't doing it for me to write a song for you, <laughs> right? But you were investing in a relationship. And to me, that's the key. And so when I went to music conferences, I was investing in relationships and seeing friends the first time I went out there, I didn't know anybody at all. But the more times that I went, I met more people. I saw them again and I built those relationships. And so I think as an artist now or as a business person, it's very difficult to figure out what you're going to do, especially in music. Back in the day, it was, you know, make a music video, put it on much music, get your music on the radio station. Those rules don't apply nowadays. And you can pay to have more views or more streams or more fans or followers. But that's not the best way to really promote yourself. The best way to do it is to invest in relationships. Exactly. And it's a rookie mistake to go to an event thinking about what can I get out of it? Because you somehow, somehow subconsciously give off this vibe of desperation. And the people that you should meet Precisely. stay away from you because you're trying to get something from them. But if you go into an event I, I guess I, I should maybe tell this story. I once went to an event in Vegas yeah. and I went to the pre-party, like the, the night before the event. Yep. And it's an opportunity to meet the speakers before you, everybody really gets to see them on stage where they'll be crowded. And I saw an older woman and I figured, you know, nobody's talking to her. She's not important at all. I'm going to go talk to her because who knows? Might be interesting. So I went up, I started talking to her. My wife uh, came not, not long after we introduced ourselves. We started talking. Next thing you know, every single person that's important at that event came to say hi because she was the mother of the one who organized it. So we ended up oh, getting, wow. meeting everybody through her in a way that was much better than trying to meet everybody ourselves. 
So it just goes to show that when you go with not trying to get anything out of out of the people that are there, it pays back without you knowing. A thousand percent. I, I completely agree with that. I always say, talk about everything except what you do. If I'm in France, I, I just talk about like our trip or like, where did you come from? You know, what sports teams do you like? Things like that. As opposed to, hey, I'm a rapper. Uh, do you want to sign me? <laughs> like, yeah. that, that's never going to come across well. And there's a lot of people that do that, though. To me, it just doesn't go as well. And also, don't look over their shoulder. Try to find somebody uh, more important to talk to. That's the worst. And again, you said rookie mistake. That's, that's always a rookie mistake, is looking at the person past you. It's just poor form. And it's bad karma, because um, you never know who you're talking to. I've realized that in the music business is you never know really who you are talking to. And so give them your full attention because that person might be somebody that really helps you in the end, at the end of the day. I find that, and you mentioned it in your book too, uh, about going with the intention of maybe just meeting three people. Yeah. That's all you need because you can actually keep a relationship going with three people. It's not about collecting business cards. You know why I figured that out, Randall? Because one time I was at New School Rules, a music conference in Rotterdam. I was representing a couple of artists as well. They'd been doing their homework. So they went on the website. They saw all the people that were coming. And I said, like, who are you trying to connect with? And he said, this one guy, he said, Ammo. I'm, I'm trying to connect with Ammo. So I'm at the pre-conference mixer, right? And I see who Ammo is. And they gave me the drink tickets. <laughs> so I had like 100 drink tickets. That, that's a problem in, in the first place, I think. But I made sure I connected with Ammo and got him a couple of drinks. And then when we got to the next event, I made sure I was with Ammo and got him a couple more drinks and talked to him. And he was like, who are you, man? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy getting me the drinks and, and this? But after that moment, man, we became really good friends. He came to Atlanta with me as well. He's from the UK and he was putting on an event for the British hip hop artist there. But he said to me, Dio. It's just about making three good contacts at a conference. You're going to see so many people, but like, look at us. You know, you made it a point to connect with me. And now we're like great friends. <laughs> and um, one of his friends also became my, my second person. So him, Ray Paul, and then, you know, the legendary DJ, Fat Philly. Those were my three. Mm -hmm. There's so much to deconstruct, but uh, definitely navigating a conference or type of business setting is something that you you have to almost let go naturally and not be in it for what you can get. It kind of reminds me a little bit about the, the chapter you have on, on t-shirts and dividends ah. friends and family, because it is funny. I, I talk to musicians and they have merch and stuff. And sometimes a musician will come and they'll, they'll appreciate the work that I put into maybe the four or five hours it takes to edit an interview. And they'll give me a, a signed vinyl, which is what I, I love. But others just have no clue. And uh, it's, it's not that I want something out of it, but you appreciate when somebody gives you something. Just like when you ordered your book, you threw in some goodies. I appreciated that. Yeah, it's, it's the small things that go the distance. But having somebody wear your T-shirt is a walking advertisement, as I say in the book. There's no better publicity. You know, we were talking about how can you invest in yourself? I think that's the best thing you can do is to have the word of mouth. It's old school marketing techniques. I think those are always the best. As our friend Jason Gaynard says about uh, marketing, what works best in the military <laughs> yeah. works best in marketing. <laughs> you probably have it better down than me, but uh, the unexpected. Exactly. Uh, in fact, the supper that I had with you was because he forced us 
as part of his uh, event to create a mastermind supper. Yep. And I figured I love music. I'm going to invite musicians. Unfortunately, we uh, we were supposed to have uh, the Sally from the Monowale show up, but she was shooting a video and it went late. And somebody else had a plumbing issue. But anyway, we had a great supper. But Jason is a master at connection and at uh, surprising. You are too, in a way. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, uh, I wonder what Jason's doing now. I saw he was doing some boxing for a bit. He did a celebrity boxing uh, match for charity. And now he's spending a lot of time. He bought a farm and he's just cooking pizzas in a wood, in an oven, spending time with his daughter. They're into food, but he is planning to resurrect the very, very, very big event that he does, which is uh, the retreats that he does. They say it's harder to get to Harvard than to go to one of his events there. So definitely something to try to get get to, but it's uh, it's all about the people. And, and when you go to his events, uh, and I, I learned so much from him. In fact, the self-knowledge that he helped me unlock was uh, based yeah. on going to a few of his events. I think they're very valuable. They're worth the investment. Even when I didn't think it was working at the time, I noticed afterwards that I was putting these things into practice and it was helping. Just like the book that you wrote, it's all these life lessons, but putting just a few of these in practice can make a very big impact on an artist's career. There's a lot packed into this book. I was surprised. I cannot put it down because there's small chapters, but you know, they're interesting. Like one of them was, and let's talk about this, the crack in your ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what was really cool, man, is um, I talked to Paul Morton a few weeks ago. Paul Morton writes for the Sarnia Observer. I grew up in Sarnia and I remember he did a story on me in 2001 uh, when I did a freestyle competition in Detroit. So I followed up with him. I said, hey, Paul, I got a new book. And the first thing he asked me about was about the crack in the ceiling because he read the book. The first line in the article was about the crack in the ceiling. And Randall, the reason why that is, is because when I got my first grant for $2,000, I was so excited. I was at my parents' house in Petrolia. I jumped up when I was walking downstairs and I cracked the ceiling. To this day, there's a dent there. Unfortunately, the basement flooded a few years ago and they had to redo everything taken care of by insurance. The contractor said, do you you guys want us to correct this? There's like a crack in the ceiling. And my mom said, no, we're going to keep that. (laughs) And it's always a reminder to me because, you know, I've, I've been very successful at grants, but you always remember your first and what it means to you. And, and when I had that first grant for $2,000, it just meant somebody was believing in me that I could take my career to another level. And that's what we did. Yeah. And there's, there's so much information in the book about grants. Uh, I don't want to spill all the beans, but what mistakes do many artists make when it comes to grant? What's like the biggest mistake they make? Self-awareness. Uh, that's what I talk about when I say secret sauce. And that's a Jason Gaynard word as well, you know, secret sauce, because people always ask me, what's the secret sauce? People ask me to write a grant for them. And I say, no, I can't write the grant for you. You have to put yourself in there. The reason why I became successful in grants is because I was able to express and articulate my hunger, why I wanted it for me. And some artists, they lack self-awareness. When you say, who do you sound like? I don't sound like anyone, man. Well, that's not what, you know, that's not the point. I want to get a picture in my mind of who you sound like so that I'll listen to you. It could even be to go to your concert, to go to your event. I have to um, drive there. I have to pay for parking. I'm going to buy a drink there or 
I have to convince a friend to come with me. So why should I come see you? What makes you stick out? And self-awareness means to look at yourself and say, this is why you should come. This is why you should believe in me. And expressing that, I think, is the key. That's the essence of it, is just really expressing how do you stick out and what do you want to do? Can you tell me three things? One, two, three. Of these three things, if I get this grant money, this is what I'm going to do. Because that's what it comes down to. Can I believe in you? And of course, the record release or video release is not the end game. That's just the beginning. You're going to talk about what are you going to do after you accomplish something to promote it and keep going. And, and I think you even talked about uh, what to do when it fails. What's like, what's your plan B? Well, yeah, yeah, as an artist, you always have to think of other things going on. Like I used to think, you know, coming out with my album, my CD, that was, that was the key. But then when that day hits, what are you going to do next? So what's the strategies after you come out with the project? So for instance, with my book, when I came out with a book, I knew that wasn't the end all be all. For instance, today, I'm doing a podcast interview with you. What I really encourage somebody to do is, you know, after they hear this, I would love for them to reach out to me at Gibson on Instagram or Twitter or, or whatnot and follow up with me. That's the power of the follow through. And so you always have to be creating. You always have to be coming up with the next move and not just the first move. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think the biggest thing with grants is a lot of artists will put off to the last minute what they should be doing on a day-to-day basis. And they won't do the research and they'll ask you questions that they can easily find if they just read the website. When you talk to an expert, and not even an expert, but somebody who knows things, don't ask them the basic questions. Don't ask me what the deadline is because then I realize you have no idea what's going on. And that's why I stopped taking phone calls about grants because I remember I was talking to a very talented artist He went on to produce for Kendrick Lamar. Like I talked to him for an hour and then he said to me, can you write down everything you just said and send it to me in an email? (laughs) And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) I took the time to talk to you. You weren't taking notes. (laughs) Like, yeah, really, you were asking me basic questions. Figure out the bottom line, the game plan, you know, just the rules to the game and then ask what's the secret sauce on top of that? Because if you can do your application, let me take it up a notch, but I, I'm not just going to tell you like the deadline is February 2nd. Yes, you have to have two songs that you're going to submit and you have to send your lyrics. Those are things you could find out in less than five minutes. Yeah. Spend the time to get the real, the real gems that will really make it uh, stand out from the crowd instead of just stuff that you can find online. If we go back to the artist and how you sound like just even the way you present yourself is very important. Like, I think at one time you presented yourself as a, a cross between uh, the Fresh Prince and Gary V. Yeah, Fresh Prince, because like I said, Will Smith is always a huge inspiration to me. What I loved about him was he told stories and he made them funny. He didn't swear, but he was real and he was cool. And so you, you'd see the TV show as a kid. You just wanted to be Fresh Prince. You wanted to be the cool, smart guy who could say funny jokes. But Gary V. And Fresh Prince was this way in this TV show. He was a nerd. Mm-hmm. Gary Vee's a nerd, an outsider. And to me, I related with that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that as, as far as being an outcast, like Big Boy and Andre. But it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It's about embracing who you are and then projecting that for the world. Just own who you are. 
is what I think is a really important lesson that I've learned. Yeah, even the fact that you smile on your albums, considering that from the earlier photo shoots when you didn't, <laughs> I lo- you, yeah. learned, you learned that about yourself and you embraced it. I think that is important because authenticity is so big and we can just see through all the fake stuff. It's just too easy. Everybody can see through it, but you have to be able to make a mistake. And Randall, what I'm really worried about, the new generation, young generation, is they're scared to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. They're scared to put themselves out there. What are people going to say? The best advice I could give to any artist is to just release music, put it out there. I I was seeing this kid last month. And he's telling me all his dreams and, you know, he wants to win a Grammy next year. He's never released a song. (laughs) You have to put that song out because you'll make better songs. You'll make better. And when you put out that song, maybe nobody even listens to it. And then you realize, oh, I'm really going to have to work. You have to put yourself out there. And um, I thought when I came out with my first CD, I was going to be, you know, international success. Jay-Z. But I'm, yeah, Jay-Z, you know, but uh I realized that when I came out with that, I had a lot to learn and I still have a lot to learn. And and that's why I'm still in the music business, because I'm always learning. I'm always collaborating. I'm always working with young artists, established artists. And that's what keeps me young. That's what keeps me fresh. That's what keeps me going. There's one quote I like from your book. I I really, really enjoyed this. It says, the reason why most artists fail is because of the big goals. It's because of the small ones. I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Well, it does. Yeah. It's like I was just saying, it's about taking those first steps. It's about doing the small little work that you don't want to do, but you have to do it. You know, as an artist, if you're just starting out, how do you put your music on Spotify? So going to TuneCore or DistroKid and learning that process or going to SoCan.ca and putting the rights in for your song. It's a small thing, but it's really consequential at the end of the day because you never know. You're always one hit away. I love that chapter too. And we can't <laughs> connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going backwards. So you sometimes have to reverse engineer your success. You, yes, that kid wants, uh, he wants a Grammy, but you have all those steps that you have to accomplish along the way. And if you don't identify these, then that leap is just too big to take. I always think of a ladder. If the rungs are too far apart, it makes it very difficult. But the small yeah. steps makes it so much easier. It's maybe even better because you're always moving forward. It just reminds me of this line, uh, Smiley, a young kid from Toronto, Drake's on his new record. He says, climbing, don't need a ladder. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what I love about that kid, you know, I keep my ear to the streets, Randall. I remember I was going out a couple of years ago to a Chinese restaurant, Spadina in college. And it's a spot everybody goes to late at night. I just talked to these guys. I said, who are you guys listening to? And they said, Smiley, Smiley. And now, fast forward two and a half years, and Smiley has a record with Drake. That's one of the only artists that Drake has done a record with in Toronto in the last five years. Hmm. But I had to learn, you know, I had to talk to people in the street and see who's up next. I remember uh, hanging out with Tory Lanez out in Miami when I went down to uh, Revolt. Puff Daddy was 10 feet away from me, just talking with Tory for a minute. And what I liked about it, Randall is to come back to what we were saying earlier. You know what he did when he was talking to me? He looked at me straight in the eye and there was a lot of other people who wanted to talk to him. He wasn't huge at the time yet, but he talked to me, you know, like I was the only person that he cared about when he was talking to me. Like I said, you you always got to look somebody in the eye. Don't look past you. And he had every reason to look past me, but I respect him for that. I know that it's, it's so important. 
one of your chapters is uh, share it with the world. And you mm. talk about back in the day, we're speaking of Drake. So I might as well bring Drake back into the conversation. Your old buddy playing a uh, PlayStation down there in the, yeah. the studio. But, NBA 2K. <laughs> so you talked about Drake and how at the time, this is way back when he was giving away his music. This is back in the MySpace days, by the way, this is how old this is, but yeah, back at that now, why was that a great strategy? I mean, he was like ahead of his game. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. I guess the only way I could say it is when I went to Atlantic City, I was doing some work at a church there. I was doing performances and summer camps there. And I remember one of the dads there was like, do you know Drake? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, my daughter, she loves Drake. She loves Drake. That's a smart kid from Degrassi. And he's rapping. And I came back and I told him that. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. But I didn't realize the reach that he was having it, even at that point. It was organic and it was real. I think that's why Drake has stood the test of time, because it was organic and it was real. And he's a genuine guy. And again, when you hang out with Drake, he looks you in your eye. He's not looking past you. He's not looking at his phone. He's talking to you. He, he's saying like, yo, what's up? What's up, D? You know, like with you, it'd be like, what's up, Randall? Like, what's going on? Like, how you been doing, man? Wait, what's, what's new? I learned from that because I'm like, that's the biggest artist in the world. Yeah. One of the biggest artists ever at this point. As much as I was supposed to be his mentor, I look up to him because now I realize this is how you have to treat people because look at how far he took. Exactly. And when we boil everything down and the inspiration behind this podcast is something that you and I both shared common as a thousand true fans theory, which we mm. And I guess it, it kind of goes along that same path of when you treat someone with respect and when you make them feel like they're the most important in the room for that minute or two you're with them, if it's or longer, that's how you can cement a true fan. But what does that mean for you? Like, what is your uh, secret sauce for getting those true fans? Uh, just being real with people. Like, some of my biggest fans are people that don't even know I rap at the beginning. I just meet them and we talk, we hang out. And then I'm like, you could follow me on Instagram. Like, are you on Instagram? And then they see it. And then they're like, oh, man, I, I didn't realize, like, you're a big rapper. <laughs> but being humble. And, and it always goes back to what I said is being self-aware. And I think I, I want to end with talking about the Northern Power Summit. You are not only an artist that uh, gives to your fans, but you also give back to the community. And one of those ways is by helping promote others. Uh, tell us a little bit about that event and what it's been doing to the artists that you bring along with you. Northern Power Summit, five years, man. I, I love saying that it's been going for five years. And what we try to do is because we went to conferences, me and my business partner, Freedom, we wanted to do something in Toronto and specifically for urban artists, for hip hop and R&B and, you know, people of color, because sometimes we feel like we're overlooked. And so we've been doing this for five years. We're going to do our sixth edition next summer in August. And I just love giving the opportunity for artists to get on stage and perform and look at them in the eyes because they're so happy to perform. They love performing also to connect them with people in the music business. I got to say this one thing, Randall. David Heyman. David Heyman spoke at my first conference. What I loved about it was he always wanted to make sure that people were having opportunities. So he does sync licensing and he did at least 25 deals from our conference. 
25. And what that means is he'd put the song in a TV show. For instance, Kim's Convenience. And as you see now, Kim's Convenience with our boy who's in the Marvel Universe now has incredible fan base. Even my wife was just saying, I was just watching Kim's Convenience. I heard your song. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I loved is giving artists that opportunity. And I remember just one young artist that came and he's like, this is incredible, man. Like, I just met David Heyman. He said to send him some music. And he got a sync placement from coming. And I love creating opportunities for artists. You've become the man in the white suit. <laughs> uh, that, that, oh, man. You have Much to read respect. the book. I'm not, we're not going to say what it means. Read the book to find out who is the man in the white suit. We, we don't know, but you are, you are that man. That might be the name of my next album the man in the white suit. And even right after we get off this, uh, one of my best friends, Mary, she's in Cannes right now. So I'm going to call her up and I'm going to tell her to go to a couple places where I have friends because with COVID, I haven't been there for two years. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that I have got great friends in Cannes and just uh, for her to go out and say, hey, Dio said to come here. And for them to say, oh man, how is he doing? <laughs> And I can't wait to get back to Cannes. I'm so glad I went out to Amsterdam last month. Uh, I'm so glad I went out to London. I just submitted my tickets for the Grammys. So I'll be back out in LA next month. Randall, it just feels really good to be doing this. You know, at my age, 43, and still feeling like I'm scratching the surface. I'm 10 years senior, and I still feel young. And I, I feed off your energy, my friend. And I can't wait till we have another meal together, break some bread talk shop and uh, just uh, have some more good times. Um, can I ask you a question, man? Sure. If I come up to Montreal, can I meet the family? For sure. We, yeah. uh, <laughs> we, we love having guests. We love entertaining. So uh, we'll definitely cook up, cook up a storm, have some great wine and uh, have a, I was going to say, I'll bring a nice story. bottle of wine. <laughs> that sounds good. And anyway, I thank you so much, uh, Dio. Uh, for those uh, that want the book in the show notes, it's uh, imdogibson.com. What a great book. I mean, I, I yep. it took three days to finish and I read Thank it. You. One third, one third, one third. I, I could not put it down. I feel it. If you're an artist, you need this book to just absorb even some of it and you'll get the benefit. Of course, you'll also benefit Dwayne on his journey as he keeps on creating those hits and keeps on getting those Guinness world records. Coming for number three. So. <laughs> Thanks, Dio, yeah, and sure. I look forward to uh, our next uh, chat. Thanks for... Well, uh, and all, and all to show. answer your first question, after four hours, I had a 15-minute break. Ah, okay. So that, that's when I was able to go to the washroom. <laughs> a kid's Walk-off shot. <laughs> all right, brother. Thank you so much for this, and I look forward to talking and looking forward to building, and anything I can do to help you, I'm a big fan of yours. So thank you very much. Thanks, and see you on the other side. Oh, yeah. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage.